Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The resurrected Jesus came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Have you ever made one? Now I recognize that's a direct question for such a cold day. I wonder if there's a few different responses in your head when I ask. Perhaps there's a small group of you that would say, maybe that doesn't really apply to me, that question. Maybe for good reason. Maybe you're actually here in a new year, you're checking out church, and you're saying, look, I I'm not even a disciple myself. I'm just exploring faith. And to you, I want to say, thanks for being here. So glad that you came to be a part of our, our gathering today. And I want to invite you to listen to what Jesus says to those who follow him. Maybe you're here today and you said, that doesn't really apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. That could be one response. Others, when I ask the question, say, yes. Yes, I've made a disciple. And within that camp, there's probably a few that would say that with great confidence. You're not squirming at all. Others of you are saying yes instinctively, but you're rationalizing a little bit right now. You're trying to reason. You would say yes, but you don't want to ask that other person if you've made a disciple in them. Still a larger group, and I would suggest it's probably the majority, might say, no, not really. I don't know that I've ever made a disciple. And that's a fair response. Maybe you're saying that because you would say, I'm not sure how to even begin to do that. What does it mean to make a disciple? Today we're starting a series for four weeks in which we want to address that question. And I want to argue for four weeks with you and persuade you to believe that making disciples is as simple as taking one step at a time. That's it. One step at a time. And if that's true, that making disciples requires one step at a time, that means anyone, anybody in this room or anybody watching in live stream who's a little bit warmer than us here, anybody can make a disciple. That's what this series is all about. One step at a time. How to make disciples who make disciples. 
Now that begs an important question, and we need to start with definitions. What is a disciple? Kind of a Christianese word. It comes right here in our Bible. Matthew 28, the same gospel that we heard read from, it's the final red letters of that gospel. Jesus says to go make these disciples. And right there, there's a Greek word, mathetes. It's the verbal form of the noun for disciple. It's a simple word. It just means learner, student, pupil. Now, the way you would present that word in the ancient Near East in Jesus' time is a little different than a CSU student today in the classroom. And so we've chosen, and you've heard this on Vision Sunday, November 5th, a, a different word, a word like apprentice might fit the context of today a little bit better. This isn't just a student in a classroom. This is a, a carpenter, an apprentice carpenter, who chooses of all the great carpenters out there, one master carpenter in which they say, I want to follow you, learn from your way of life, and become skilled just like you are. So a, a simple definition of a disciple could be this. A disciple simply is an apprentice, an apprentice of Christ who's seeking to become more like him one step at a time. That's a disciple. So how are they made then if Jesus commands us to make disciples? We're arguing it just takes one step at a time. Now, I'm trying to be precise with my words. I'm choosing the word step intentionally because I'm taking my cue from Jesus himself. One of his favorite metaphors for the journey of Christian faith is the metaphor of walking, pilgrimage, or journey. Over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, follow me. He says it probably most famously in Mark 1. He's seen some fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and he says, look, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You notice in the very first call towards discipleship, Jesus has the end in mind. Before they even know him, he says, this is my aim. I want to take you as fishermen and help you become men who are fishers of men, disciple makers. He had the end in mind from the very beginning. And he says, follow me, walk with me, come on a journey of life with me. Paul picks up this same analogy or metaphor in the New Testament as well. In Colossians 1, same metaphor, listen to it. In Colossians 1, 9. His prayer for Christians, that he has made Christians through his missionary work, he says, I pray that you would walk like one step at a time. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What's this process of walking? What's this journey moving towards? That you would bear fruit in every good work and that you would increase in the knowledge of God, that you would know him, have intimate communion with the Father. And so by doing, you would become like Jesus. That's the whole process from beginning to end. One step at a time, becoming more like Jesus. Paul says that the basic categories of discipleship is that there are people on the earth that are either in darkness or there are people that are in light. There's nothing in between. It's as simple as that. 
darkness, and light. And that's the most simple categories we could make. And uh, I'm grateful for Tony Payne in his book, The Trellis and the Vine, whom we showed before. We've had a discipleship training module on this very content. He has a helpful diagram to show us the process or the pathway that disciples make one step at a time. It looks like this arrow right here, and he describes it in four E's. On the left side, we have those who are in darkness, and they're left of the cross. And on the right side, as they step through the cross, through repentance and faith, they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I need to step this way. Looks a different way. Here we go, kingdom of light. That's better. Then he breaks it down further. He says, before the cross, there's, there's four E's to break down these categories. Furthest from the cross, those far from God need to be engaged. They need to be engaged. They need to come in contact with Christians who have truth and light. And then after they're engaged, they need to hear the truth. The truth, the good news that Jesus came to die and rescue sinners like me and like you. And by a miracle of grace, when someone puts their faith through repentance and belief, they step over the cross and they become children of light. But they're a baby. They're a brand new baby Christian and they need to be established. They need infant food at first and they grow and they mature and they develop and they take steps and they toddle and then they walk and then they run and then finally mature Christians need to be equipped, trained in specific skills to be able to be fruitful workers in all the gifts that God has given you till one day Jesus calls you home to glory and you're made perfectly like him. That's it. Go therefore and make disciples. There's the roadmap. And over the next four weeks, we want to explore in detail each of these categories to help us be effective disciple makers. Today, we start with engage. How do we engage people who are far from God? It seems like a relevant question in a post-Christian world, doesn't it? Maybe even particularly in Fort Collins, where if you bump into somebody at King Supers, it's more likely that they are not a Christian than they are. How do we engage people? Jesus says, if you want to engage the lost, and by the way, that, that phrase, engage, very word, very intentionally is baked into our mission statement. You can see it right here in our mission statement as a church. We want to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples. How, church? By engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. That's what we're about, engaging people. If we want to do that, Jesus says we need to be salt and light. Look at today's text with me in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. In verse 13. In verse 14, new metaphor. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? I, I get it. it, it's on a coffee mug somewhere. But really, what, what does that mean? This is nice, I like the picture, salt and light. What did Jesus mean for his followers to be salt and light? 
I'm helped by John Stott, a wonderful pastor and theologian, who finds at least two things that this metaphor draws out. The first, if Christians are to be salt and light, it means that they're distinct from the world. Distinct. Christians are radically different from the world. Let's ponder this metaphor that Jesus uses. He's so brilliant. Have you ever noticed that Jesus does this? He, he doesn't talk about molecular physics with everyday people. He takes common objects that anybody could relate to. Household things. So common like table salt and a lamp. And then he draws out a metaphor for life from it so that anytime you open your cupboard this afternoon, you sprinkle a little bit of salt into your soup, you can be reminded of his great teaching that you would be salt and light. It's so common to all of us, we can relate to this. What is distinct about salt and light? They are radically distinct from the, that which they oppose. Think about this. If Jesus says you as Christians are to be light, he's saying that the world is dark. And because of sin and the fall, it is a dark world. There's pain and war and suffering and abuse and corruption. It's a dark world. And he's saying, Christians, you should be distinct from that darkness. Light is not darkness. They are diametrically opposed. And the light comes into the darkness and does something totally different. It illuminates. It illuminates. So too, the salt is totally distinct from that which salt had a purpose for. And in the New Testament, in the ancient Near East, before there's a refrigerator, there's no Kohler refrigerators, there's nothing available for you. If you want to eat meat and you want to preserve it, you need salt. That's the only way to do it. But the problem with that meat, as soon as you kill that elk, is that meat starts to decay. And just like our world is dark, because of sin, our world is also in a state of decay. Because of sin, is it not? But salt is distinct. Salt itself doesn't decay. You can stick that table salt in your cupboard for 50 years and pull it out. It's still salt. But you put that salt into that meat that would spoil in days and it preserves it. It purifies it. It's distinct. It's set apart. Jesus, in a sense, is saying what was said to the people of Israel back in Leviticus 19. One of the first commands of God to his people is he said, you be holy because I'm holy. Be set apart. Be distinct. Walk and live in the world in a way that is radically different than the pattern of this world that is darkness and decay. Instead, be salt and light. That's why he says, think about this. If you compromise your lifestyle as a set-apart, pure and holy Christian, you are like salt that's no longer salty. You're watered down. You're like the salt they would dig up from the Dead Sea, and it would come with all kinds of impurities. 
and he'd use out the salt and maybe he'd get some water in there and the salt would dissolve and all you'd be left with is the dirt from the Dead Sea, useless. You'd rub it on that meat, hoping that it would preserve it and the next day, stink. Rotten meat. And Jesus is saying, that's like the Christian that's no longer salty. He's not distinct from the world, he's just like the world. He's just like the world. He's folded, he's not light penetrating the darkness, he delights in the darkness. So Christian, if you wanna make disciples, you need to be salty and you need to be light. If you asked your neighbor, would they recognize your salt? Does the way you live, does it have the fragrance of that pink Himalayan sea salt in the grinder? Or does your lifestyle smell like rotting fish? If your neighbor looked at you, would they say, just there's something about this person, the way they live, it is a beam of warm Colorado sunlight in the winter. Or would they look at your light and they'd say, their life is just as cold and dark as my life is. You see, Jesus' call for Christians to be salt and light is to be distinct agents in the world who live out this kingdom life. You, you might ask, well, what does the salty life even look like? How would you know that your life is salty? You wouldn't need to go far. Remember, when we interpret the Bible, context is king. And I don't want to just helicopter into this passage, take it out of context. Look at the, the verses that just preceded. They're read in some Bibles. Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, has just finished describing this new kingdom lifestyle. And he does it in his famous Beatitudes. You want to live salty? Here's a few. Salty people are meek. They're not proud. Blessed are the meek. You want to be a salty Christian? Live in humility that's radically different than the world. Don't be a proud person trampling on people, climbing some corporate ladder, lacking integrity to just get ahead. You're playing the game of the world. You're not salty. You're just like it. Don't be proud. Be humble. He said, salty people, blessed are the merciful, not the unforgiving and hard and angry. You want to be salty? Be someone who forgives over and over and over. You want to you live a salty life? Verse 9, blessed are the salty peacemakers, not those that stir up strife and gossip and are contentious. That's a salty Christian. Would your neighbor know you're a Christian by your lifestyle? What about the kid in, in math class sits right next to you. Would anyone know? Jesus' call to engaging the world begins with living distinct. Christians should live radically different lives than the rest of the world, 
Yet, though they are distinct, here's the twist from Jesus, they're not separated from the world. Well, that's a twist, isn't it? Isn't that the point that we would not only be distinct, but that we as Christians would actually permeate the world and penetrate the darkness? Don't you see that's the point that Jesus is making? Look at uh, verse 14 and 15. He says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill, not buried in the valley, not hidden in the woods, up on top, visible. Or if you wanna take a lamp in your home, don't, you don't light a lamp and stick it in the cupboard. You light the lamp and you put it on the highest spot of the table that it would penetrate and illuminate the darkness. It doesn't hide in a holy huddle behind church doors as salt and light. Jesus is doing something new. You see, the the Old Testament was primarily a come and see covenant. Be holy as I am holy, have this amazing nation, have the wisdom of Solomon, and people will come and visit and see what my people are like. Come and see. The New Testament's different. Jesus is doing something new. He's saying, be holy, but, but don't be in a holy huddle. He's saying, the New Testament's not come and see, it's a go and tell covenant. Get out there. I came to seek and save the lost not wait for them to show up. Go engage the world, go penetrate the darkness, be light on the table. Distinct, but penetrating. Are you holy, but in a huddle? Are you hidden? from interacting with the world. Before I tore my Achilles, my only outlet, because I work in a church, and I love you, you're wonderful Christians, but I need to be around people who cuss. (laughs) And so I'd play basketball every week. And I'm not that good at basketball. (laughs) But I wanted to be around men who cuss, because I want to be a light in the darkness not just surrounded by light. I want to engage the lost and be a carrier of God's grace. Are you stuck behind the walls of the church so that your light shines in a bright room? Or are you the SOS flashlight out in the darkest parts of the world? When we be salt and light, we need to be distinct from the world, and yet we need to permeate the world. So if you want to make disciples, you want to engage those far from God, be distinct yet not separate, and permeate the world without compromising to become like it. And then you'll be salt in a decaying world and light in the darkness. That's what Jesus means. That makes the coffee mug more meaningful, harder to live out. How then? What's a first step in engaging the lost? I want to point to three tools that we have in our tool belt to begin practicing disciple-making in the world and engaging those far from God. 
take my cue again from three P's that Tony Payne points out. And I'm using these specifically because these apply to every stage throughout our series. Three P's that help people take next steps, whether they're far from God or they've been walking with God for 30 years. Three P's to help people take a next step. Let's think about engaging those far from God through these three P's. First, what do we need to engage those far from God? We need people. We need people. Now, this seems almost too obvious to say, but sometimes we skip over this. Did you notice in Matthew 5 what Jesus says? Look at verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say your church building with your 12-foot pre-lit Christmas tree is the light of the world. He didn't say that. He didn't say your church building was. He didn't say your strategy is the light of the world. Your philosophy of ministry is the light of the world. Your slick marketing and branding is the light of the world. He says, plain and simple, you are the light of the world. The people of God carry the light of Christ to the world. This is God's plan for reaching the lost. There is not another plan. It's you. It's me. We need people. We need people to engage the world. It's the first P. And the second, now we're getting to how, if you're willing to do it, is we need people who are salty with wonderfully salted prayers. We need a praying people. Colossians 1.9, as I've referred to already, Paul says this, think about it, he's a missionary, he's going to the corners of the earth, he's risking his life, he's going on ships, he's getting shipwrecked, he's getting imprisoned, he's going to engage the lost. He does so, by God's grace they become Christians, and he says this in Colossians verse nine, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Where does Paul start in engaging the lost? Before you were a believer, I was praying for you. As you were thinking about becoming a believer, I was praying for you. As you were a baby Christian, I was praying for you. And until the day I'm martyred, I am praying for you. I won't cease to pray for you. What does Paul pray when he prays? He gives thanks to the Father who did the work through Paul to deliver these people from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. That's what he prays. Praying for someone is the simplest and most powerful tool you have as salt and light in the world. And it's as simple as one step today. You could do it today. I'm often amazed and at times grieved when I'm at the self-checkout line at King Supers. You ever, ever done that? You're trying to beep and they get the managers looking at you, making sure you're not stealing things. And then you look over at somebody, and I, and I realize in a post-Christian culture, especially in Fort Collins, but all over the world, I look at somebody, and you, you catch a glance, eye contact. It's for a moment. And then you look away, and you grab your gallon of milk. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder, has anyone 
ever prayed for that person. Ever. I mean, how sad is it that it's possible that you could walk through your whole life and not once in your entire existence has another person loved you enough to pray for you. Your name has never been lifted up to the ears of God through the lips of another Christian. You want to be salt and light in the world? Just the, the harvest is plentiful. Just look around. There are people whom no one has prayed for them. They just go through cancer alone with well wishes. Folks, there's, there's an opportunity for us and the harvest is plentiful right here for you to begin praying for those that you see at the grocery store. You wanna be salt and light, sprinkle salt into someone else's life and be a beam of life-changing light by praying for them. You could change their life and just maybe it might change your heart towards them. First, we need people. Next, we need prayers. And finally, as I conclude, we need to proclaim. Which is the final P. Proclaim. Now, I'm gonna say this first, and then I'll show it in Matthew. We need to proclaim the truth in deeds, and I will add in words as well. Matthew 5, 16. What's the point of being the light? What does he say? Be the light. Why? In verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that he may reason because so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How does a good work give glory to God and not yourself? That's the only hiccup I have here. I mean, you, you might have shoveled your neighbor's driveway yesterday when it was negative 13 degrees and your nose hairs were freezing. <laughs> and that neighbor might wave from their front door and say, oh my goodness, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. And I think in that moment, you'd get glory. You're such a nice guy. Thank you. How does the good deed point to glory to God? And, and I beg the question, I'd say it only happens if there's words. It only happens if there are words. They've got to know from your lips, I'm a Christian. I serve Jesus. That's why I shoveled your driveway. He came and he served me first. And I just want to pass along service to you. St. Francis of Assisi, famous quote, also on a mug. Also, often misquoted, nobody can really point that he actually said this, so I think he didn't, but it's a nice sentiment. <laughs> he says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And I love the sentiment. I mean, it, that's salt and light. Live your life in a way that people are like, there's something unique about this person. Yes, and I would add, you've got to use words because Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Nobody ladles soup in a soup kitchen and helps them move from darkness to light. They need the light of truth. They need to know there's news that a savior came and died for them. They need news. So do both, St. Francis, do both. People, prayers, and proclamation. Jesus said in John 8, you wanna reach the darkness? Don't be afraid, for I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk step by step aimlessly in darkness, not making any progress, wandering around, feeling your way through life. No, 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 I'm the light. Those who follow me will see and make progress one step at a time, clearly on the path, becoming more and more like Jesus because he's the light of the world. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. Have you ever made one? I wanna, I wanna challenge you today, I'm trusting the spirit to place on your heart right now, I want you to think of one name, one name. This might be your uh, student in math class. This might be a neighbor. This might be the guy in the cubicle next to you. But I want you to think of one name in this moment. And I want to charge you, church, to pray every single day for that one name until we gather together again next Sunday. Seven prayers. One minute. It's like 60 seconds of your day. But I want you to pray for them every single day until we gather again. And let's see what God does together as we become light to a world of darkness. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.